0: This evening we're going to to be looking at Joshua chapter 4 and specifically we're going to look at two memorials, two memorials. In Joshua chapter 3 we looked at the successful passage of the children of Israel, perhaps two million of them if you can imagine that. That's a, a lot of people, two million of them, over the river Jordan when the waters of the Jordan were cut off and made to stand up in a heap, or upon a heap. That miraculous crossing is reminiscent of when the Lord made the Red Sea dry land. When the Lord had delivered the children of Israel out of their afflictions in Egypt. And they arrived at the Red Sea, and the waters were divided and that provided a safe passage for the Israelites to enter into the wilderness and away from the pursuing Egyptians. The time between those two great events, passing through the Red Sea and then passing through the River Jordan, was what? 40 years. They spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. One year for every day, that the spies who brought back a bad report to Moses had spent in Canaan. When, when, when the Israelites had passed through the Red Sea, Moses sent spies into the Promised Land and all but two came back with a bad report. We looked at this last time. The only two who brought back a good, positive report were Joshua and Caleb. That was it. But all the others brought back a bad report. Uh, And and so they spent a year in the wilderness for every day that the spies had spent surveilling the promised land of Canaan. They spent 40 days surveilling the land. And because of that bad report, because of all the murmuring by the spies and by the children of Israel, they spent 40 years in the wilderness. And out of that original generation... That left Egypt, that passed through the Red Sea, that original generation, only two people over the age of, I think it was 20 years of age, actually entered into the promised land 40 years later, again Joshua and Caleb. but it wasn't actually, it wasn't precisely 40 years and we can see that in our passage here if you if you know the history of what happened immediately before the israelites um, were delivered out of egypt they the lord initiated the passover the meal the Israelites they they killed a lamb and the, the blood of the lamb was daubed on the house posts and the and the lintels of their homes and then when the Lord passed over the land of Egypt they were spared all these houses that had the blood on the posts and the lintels. The Lord passed over them. But if but otherwise the firstborn was were, were destroyed. And then, before leaving egypt before being delivered from Egypt, they had their very first Passover meal where they ate the lamb and they ate it rather hastily. So again, that was forty years earlier, but we see here that it was actually forty years uh, five days short of forty years. This is me being a little bit precise here it 's five days short. Because the very first Passover, just before they were about to uh, be delivered out of Egypt, was on the 14th day of the first month. Okay, now we see in Joshua chapter 4 and verse 19 that they finally exited the wilderness into the promised land of Canaan, not on the 14th day of the first month, but on the 10th day of the first month. So that's nearly 40 years, but it's actually five days short of 40 years. You can see it for yourselves there in verse 19. And the people came up out of Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and encamped at Gilgal. That's where they lodged. When they passed through the river Jordan. That was on the 10th day of the first month. Uh, near to Jericho. Chapter 4 tells us that God commanded Joshua. To take 12 men. One from each of the 12 tribes. And, it, and Joshua instructed them. To take 12 stones out of the middle of the Jordan. And carry them to the first place that the Israelites were to lodge at, as I've already said, Gilgal. And that would, the stones were to be taken there and to be uh, arranged there at Gilgal as a memorial of their passage through the River Jordan. Chapter 4 also describes how Joshua set up 12 stones. This is another 12 stones in the river itself. Once that was done, the priests were ordered to come up out of the Jordan, after which the waters returned to their place. Also, in verses 11 through to 13, uh, let's have a look at those verses, Joshua chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. It came to pass, when all the people were clean, passed over, that the ark of the Lord passed over and the priests in the presence of the people. And the children of Reuben and the children of Gad and half the tribe of Manasseh passed over armed before the children of Israel as Moses spake unto them. About 40,000 prepared for war passed over before the Lord unto battle to the plains of Jericho. The tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh had already received their land on the east side of the river Jordan. Even so, about 40,000 of their mighty men of valour crossed over the river Jordan to help the other tribes with the battles that lie ahead. We needn't assume that those 40,000 men were the very last people to cross over the Jordan. When you appreciate that the Ark of the Covenant, which denoted the presence of the Lord of the Covenant, who had cut off the waters and piled them up in a heap, upon a heap, was being born, that the Lord of the, 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 the Lord, uh, who, who was denoted by the Ark of the Covenant, that Ark of the Covenant was being carried by the priests who stood in the middle of the Jordan throughout the time that it took all those people to pass over the Jordan. Now, it's only body's guess how long those priests were standing there in the, in the Jordan bearing the Ark of the Covenant, while, as I've already said, perhaps two million people passed over or, or crossed, through, crossed over the River Jordan, probably quite a while, quite some time. As such, the priests who bore the Ark of the Covenant were the last people to exit the Jordan, after which the waters flowed again, and that can be seen to be the case in verse 18. Uh, what I'm trying to get through to you here is that it, it might seem as if the, the last ones that crossed over the Jordan were the, the mighty men of valour from the uh, tribes of Reuben Gad, half-tribe of Manasseh, but that clearly wasn't the case. The last ones to, to leave or exit the River Jordan would have been the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And again, that can be seen in verse 18. And it came to pass when the priests that bear the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord were come up out of the midst of the Jordan and the soles of the priests' feet were lifted up unto the dry land that the waters of Jordan returned unto their place and flowed over all his banks as they did before. So there you go. The water came back to normal afterwards after the priests exited the river. Now that I've given a summary of the events of chapter 4, I'd like to spend the rest of our time considering just two things. two, The two memorials that were set up, namely the, two, the twelve stones, rather, the twelve stones that were taken out of the River Jordan and laid down as a memorial at Gilgal, but also the twelve stones that Joshua set up in the middle of the River Jordan. Two sets of twelve stones. Twelve that were taken, carried on shoulders by twelve men. Twelve stones, twelve men carrying them to Gilgal. And then the twelve stones that Joshua arranged in the Jordan itself. First of all, the twelve stones that were laid down as a memorial at Gilgal. Look at verses four through to eight again. And... Then Joshua called the twelve men, whom he had prepared, of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man. And Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, take ye up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according unto the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you that when your children ask their fathers in time to come saying what mean ye by these stones then ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan the waters of Jordan were cut off and these stones shall be for a memorial unto the children of Israel forever and the children of Israel did so as Joshua commanded, took up twelve stones out of the midst of Jordan, as the Lord spake unto Joshua, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, and carried them over with them unto the place where they lodged, and laid them down there. That was not the first time that stones were left as a memorial in the Old Testament, uh, as a, by memorial, that means for a, rem- a remembrance. For example, when the patriarch Jacob and his family departed from Haran to return to Canaan, because the, fo- the forefathers uh, were actually living in Canaan long before it was long before the children of Israel actually took possession of it as their inheritance. So when the patriarch Jacob was returning there, he'd he'd lived for 20 years with his father-in-law in in Haran, and that happened 200 years before the children of Israel took possession of the land. Uh, 200 years before the events that we're considering this evening. But anyway, as Jacob, the, the patriarch Jacob, was about to leave Haran to head back to um, Canaan, his father-in-law Laban said to him, Now therefore, come thou, let us make a covenant, I and thou, and let it be for a witness between me and thee. And Jacob took a stone and set it up for a pillar. And Jacob said unto his brethren, gather stones and they took stones and made a heap and they did eat there upon the heap. So you've got that memorial there at Haran before Jacob, his wife's Leah and Rachel and his family headed off back to Canaan. Throughout history, memorials have been set up, such as at the Cenotaph in central London. Cenotaph, it means empty tomb. And the one in London is there as a memorial to the British and Commonwealth dead of the two world wars. With regards to the 12 stones that were set up as a sign in Gilgal, near to Jericho, we're specifically told in verse 7 in what way those stones were to be a memorial unto the children of Israel. When asked what the stones meant... The fathers were to answer their children that the waters of Jordan were cut off before the ark of the covenant of the Lord. In that way, those stones would serve as an opportunity for fathers in Israel to educate and instruct their children throughout the generations to come and to tell them about God's power and his grace and his mercy when God separated the waters of the River Jordan, enabling the children of Israel to cross over into the the land of Canaan, the land of their inheritance. So those stones were set up as a memorial and gave an opportunity um, for the fathers to, to... Instruct their children about Almighty God and His power. It might be asked if the 12 stones are still at Gilgal all these years later, because it says there that there'll be a memorial forever. Do we, do we imagine that those 12 stones are still there? You know, forever can mean throughout the generations. It doesn't mean forever and ever. For example this world this world will come to an end. this world isn 't going to be around forever, is it? Jesus is going to come again and put an end to this world, but even now, do we imagine those twelve stones are still there at um, Gilgal as a memorial? What about Noah's Ark? I've heard people say that uh, there's, you know, talk not for me it's nonsense about Noah's Ark still being on Mount Ararat. After all, in Genesis chapter 8 and verse 4, it is written, The Ark rested in the seventh month, on the seventeenth day of the month, upon the mountains of Ararat. That's a fact, biblical truth. Is the ark still there? On Mount Ararat, traces of the ark, bits of wood perhaps? I don't know. Do we need to know? Does it really matter to us? And I say that most reverently. My answer to both those questions is that if the twelve stones are still at Gilgal, and if Noah's ark is still on Mount Ararat, I don't imagine there's any traces of them in any of the museums of the world. And I don't, I, I just don't imagine that anyone has located them. And, uh, they, the people, that they're there for people to view. In our day and age. Even so, de- details about the parting of the River Jordan and details about Noah's Ark and much more besides, including the six days of creation, are recorded and preserved for us in the scriptures. As for the bloodstained cross that the incarnate Son of God was nailed to when he was lifted up to die as the only acceptable sacrifice for sin, we don't need to find evidence of that cross somewhere. The divine record in the Bible of Jesus being nailed to a cross and being lifted up to die, could not be clearer. For example, Matthew's Gospel has the following record. They crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. Now from the sixth hour there was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And we're not left in the dark as to why Jesus was crucified. The prophet Isaiah tells us very clearly that he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord have laid on him the iniquity of us all. We've got this very clear record in the Bible, of all these things. Uh, And yet still people, they they demand to see evidence, don't they? Uh, Whether it's um, the stones at Gilgal, or maybe a little bit of the cross. As for the ark, to prove Noah's, uh, the flood in the time of Noah, show me the ark and I'll believe it. And we even have that same mentality within the church, don't we? Where people will uh, look for signs all the time. I'm talking about miraculous signs. And a church is not a church unless there's all sorts of miraculous signs. And so you have these churches that have staged healings. Even though... The Apostle John said at the end of his Gospel, concerning all the miraculous things that Jesus did, uh, not all of them, the ones that were recorded in John's Gospel, these things are written, that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing ye might have life through his name. We have everything we need in the Scriptures, whether it's the stones at Gilgal, the As a memorial to the children of Israel. Or the Noah's Ark. We've got all the details there in Genesis. Most of all perhaps we we have full details about the sacrificial death of the Lord Jesus Christ. And his resurrection. It's all there in the scriptures for us. We have so much now. We have far more now than the children of Israel ever had. We have far more now than the early church ever had because we've got our completed Bibles. Do we appreciate how much we've got with the, this is the word, this is the word of God. The infallible, inherent word of God. It's all there for us. Secondly, the twelve stones in the middle of the river Jordan. Look at verse 9 in Joshua chapter 4. And Joshua set up twelve stones in the midst of the Jordan, in the place where the feet of the priests which bear the ark of the covenant stood, and they are there unto this day. In this one verse, just one verse there, details are given about Joshua taking 12 stones and setting them up for a memorial in the middle of the Jordan, of all places. It was quite interesting, I must admit, when I was reading what the commentators had to say about verse 9. I read a few commentaries, or more than a few commentaries, on verse 9. And I kind of wish there'd been more, but... The Holy Spirit has given us one verse to tell us about 12 stones that Joshua uh, arranged in, in the midst of the Jordan. And let me give you some examples of what I read in the commentaries, and you decide for yourself. Apparently, according to some of the commentators, the stones were piled up one upon another in the Jordan, one on another, and... They would have been seen at certain times when the waters were less abundant. I couldn't, I couldn't find it in verse nine, but that's what the commentator said. So they piled up high, and when the when the waters are low, they would see those stones. Also, uh, there are others who say that. Those passing through that part of the Jordan, presumably on a, on a ship, or a boat of some sort, would have seen the stones because the waters were clean and clear. So can you imagine that? Someone's on his boat going across the Jordan and he looks over the side and he can see the stones in the Jordan and there you go, there's a memorial again. That may have been the case may have been, I'm not saying it's not the case, who am I to dispute what the other commentators say? Or some of them at any rate. But for me, those 12 stones that Joshua, whose name means Jesus, let's remember that, Joshua and Jesus, they're the same thing. Uh, Joshua's the Hebrew, Jesus is comes derived from the Greek. They both mean um, Jehovah is salvation. So, when I think of Joshua... I think of Jesus. Yeah. Now, Joshua, whose whose name means Jesus, set up in the midst of the Jordan those twelve stones as a memorial, and I I see them as being a memorial of the death of the Lord Jesus Christ and all that belonged to him. As I've already said on several occasions, Canaan, which was the inheritance. Of the children of Israel, the the land that they crossed over the Jordan into, was the land of their inheritance, promised to them, promised to Abraham. That land of promise, that inheritance, Canaan, that the earthly Canaan, does not correspond to your heavenly inheritance, if you're a Christian. All of you whose saviour from sin is Jesus. Don't think of Canaan, that that piece of land in the Middle East, as corresponding to heaven. After all, think about it. What lay ahead for the Israelites in Canaan were battles and bloodshed as they took possession of that God-given inheritance. Does that sound like heaven to you? It's hardly a picture of heaven, but it is a picture, it is a picture of the daily battles that you, dear Christian, have in this world of which the devil is prince. The battles that you face each and every day from your greatest enemies, sin, Satan. As a Christian, your battles are against the sinful flesh against persecution from the people of this world who oppose the gospel of Christ. As the Apostle Paul said, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, um, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. That's the world that we live in, dear Christian. These are the battles that we face every day. It's not heaven, is it? For that daily battle that you have entered into, God has supplied you with defensive armour and also he's given you the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. The Bible. But there was a time when you too were on the other side of the Jordan, when you hadn't crossed over the Jordan into the battleground that we're now in. You, you weren't always battling against Um, principalities and powers there was a time when you were on the other side when you too had no interest in the Saviour's blood until such time God delivered you from the power of darkness and transferred you into the kingdom of his dear son when you repented and when you trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ by the grace of God So for me and perhaps for you as well, I don't know, the 12 stones that were set up in the midst of the Jordan are a memorial of Jesus sacrificially laying down his life and also you being buried with him by baptism into his death. That like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so you also should walk in newness of life. That newness of life in Christ that follows being buried with Him by baptism into death can be seen as being marked by the twelve stones that were set up in Gilgal. That's when you raised up to newness of life. You're in Gilgal. This is where we have our battles now. For the for the Israelites, they, their first battle was against uh, in Jericho, and then the, one thing after another, one kingdom after another. As they took possession of their inheritance. That is a picture of us now. In the world that we live in. We're in the world. We're not of the world. But we are in this world. And we battle against. Not against flesh and blood. But against principalities and powers. And we do so. In the strength of the Lord. And he has equipped us. With an armour. To do so. And with the Holy Spirit. All of, all of that accords with the testimony of the apostle Paul, who said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I don't know if you think I'm being rather fanciful with my application for the church concerning the memorial in the midst of the River Jordan but it's for me it speaks of the sacrificial death of Jesus and your death and your burial with him and if I am being fanciful I hasten to add that not all of the commentators said nothing more than the stones uh, were there piled up one upon another so that they could be seen when the waters were low. One of the commentators said the typical application is not hard to make. The 12 stones in the riverbed tell out the story of the death of Christ and our death with him. We are dead to sin and to the law as well as crucified unto the world. We must therefore reckon ourselves dead unto sin. Where do we get that from? From my first reading, Romans chapter 6. It's all there in Romans chapter 6. I hope you can understand what I'm trying to—the picture I, I'm, I'm bringing to you tonight—that um, that crossing over the Jordan—it's certainly not representative of us um, dying in this world, physically dying, and going up to heaven. Not at all, because all you have to do is think what lie ahead for the Israelites—battles galore. So, for me, and for others, the River Jordan is a really good picture of being buried, crucified with Christ, being buried with Christ, and then being raised up with Christ to newness of life, everlasting life. And in his power, this is when the battles really start for us. I didn't have these battles before I became a Christian. I didn't care about anything before I became a Christian. The battles really start when you actually become a Christian by the grace of God. But his grace is sufficient for all of you to face those battles day in and day out. You're not passive, are you? Uh, And being a Christian, at least for me, it's not a walk in the park. I'm not walking on clouds or anything either. Because... I'm in a Christ-hating world, so are you. And we see that with the persecution of the church. And the fiery darts of Satan are never, never far away. But before that happened, we were, you and I, we were crucified with Christ. And you consider yourself dead to this world, dead to sin now, and alive in Jesus And how wonderful that is. I'd much rather be in this situation that I'm in now than as I was before, where I didn't give, I I didn't care about anything. These things didn't concern me. Last of all, I hope that I've encouraged you not only to see... Jesus and him crucified for sinners in those 12 stones that Joshua set up in the midst of the river Jordan, but to look for him throughout the Bible. No reason why not. As we come to a close, let me take this opportunity to remind you of the memorial service. I'll just par- finish with this one now. that We do have a memorial still, don't we? What is that memorial that we have now as Christians? Sorry? Communion, Communion, exactly. The Lord Jesus Christ has graciously given to all who have been buried with him by baptism into his death. That communion service, the Lord's Supper, which we have at this church every Sunday, and about which the Apostle Paul said, The Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, "'Take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. "'This do in remembrance of me.'" There you have it. It's a memorial, the, the communion service, the Lord's Supper. "'Do this in remembrance of me.'" After the same manner also, he took the cup when he had supped, saying, "'This cup is the New Testament in my blood. "'This do ye as oft as ye drink it.'" In remembrance of me. For as often as you eat and drink this bread and drink this cup, ye do show, ye do show the Lord's death till he comes. It seems amazing that we need this reminder, but clearly we do because Jesus has graciously given us this memorial service uh, that we come together and remember him, his, 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 um, the shedding of his blood, his death on the cross, and we do so together, we, we remember these things, that great event in history when Jesus laid down his life as the sacrifice for sin. And we do that until he comes again.